0: Hello and welcome to my first fanfiction, the podcast where I'll read the first novel that I ever wrote. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, This is a little special episode before we go into the holy day hiatus as we prepare ourselves to read uh, The Year Love Died, the... Yet another wonderful Bill Cowlitz fan fiction by reading the first chapter of my novel, Caught in a Bad Fomance, which is available now wherever you get your books. How do you feel, Duncan?
1: I'm excited. Uh-huh. I think this will be great promo for your book. Everyone will read it. <laughs>
0: As if this podcast alone hasn't been enough, hasn't been enough promo. Yeah, because
1: they haven't heard the new writing. That's true. They've probably been listening to this and being like, well, I refuse to buy a book <laughs> by this author because of her bad Because uh, she's always work. got typos.
0: Yeah. Yes. And you know what? I can respect that.
1: That's so what we're going to evaluate on today's episode, yeah. is by what percentage specifically? Okay. you've improved as an author.
0: Okay, that's fair. All right. Well, I want to. I want to prepare everyone for this. We're going to read it the same way we do the, read the fan fictions, in which it, since it thankfully is written in first person present, makes it a little convenient for that. I don't so, think it
1: matters that it's in present tense.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. The, it's inconsistent. First person, present tense. I'll say that. But anyway. The tense,
1: uh, you're saying the difference is the tense, the is, tense consistent. is consistent.
0: The tense is consistent. But it is in first person. So I will be reading for the voice of the main character, Devin, um, both his internal thoughts, uh, all of his lines of dialogue. But not just that. I will also be reading the dialogue tags, which can you believe they're actually dialogue tags? Astounding.
1: The way you're introducing this sounds like you're introducing an improv show. I know. You're like, I need to get you prepared for this.
0: Nothing that
1: the actors are performing has been written down. Yeah. This is all coming straight from their heads. Wow.
0: I mean, I do feel like it needs to come with a cautionary tale based on what we're used to. But, you know, it's, um, it's a regular book. This is uh, kind of like an audio book. Except it's two voices. And also, there already is an audiobook of this book. If you'd like to listen to it, it's wonderful. You yeah, can listen to it.
1: I did. You can listen to Avi Roque do a much better job than us. Yes. If uh, you prefer.
0: They do a wonderful job. So I highly recommend the audiobook if you want to listen to an audiobook. But for now, you just have us. The the story coming somewhat from the horse's mouth. From the horse and the horse's partner's mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the horse is not here. Still.
0: No. Yeah, we don't talk about that. He's in custody. <laughs> Except we don't talk about it. It's Sorry, really cut that out. <laughs> All right, are you ready to get started? Um, You're not. You have your hand up the dog. The dog is on Duncan's lap. Yeah, I have my hand
1: fully up her skirt. Yeah, he, like, his it's his very hand is inside
0: of her coat. <laughs> Let her go. Get her hand out of her coat.
1: We. I got to introduce this part. We're okay. reading out of physical
0: books. Yes, we are. I mean... It would have taken a lot of effort for me to hand-type the entire chapter. Uh, this might be super long. Um, the, this chapter is unusually long um, for the whole book. Like, the none of the... Not all of them. But I, I think this is the longest chapter. And you will see why. It's a pretty long chapter. But we're determined to read the whole thing. Um, I think we'll ha- stop a little bit less. Because I was saying to Duggan earlier, there are less typos. Hopefully there are no typos, in fact. Oh, hello. The dog has come over to my lap somehow. Hello. She really wants to be on the show today. She's really she's fully on the microphone right now or... we're
1: getting a lot of dog noises yeah.
0: sorry everybody okay so sorry dr Porge really wants to be in the audio reading of caught in a bad i don't know
1: if this is going to be usable
0: oh my gosh. the dog has been removed from our respective laps so now oh <laughs> <laughs> she's come back <laughs> hold please all right okay we're just going to deal with the dog being here and being somewhat disruptive uh that's uh that's why you should uh, not li- go to us for audiobook quality. Um but here we are. Here is chapter 1 of Caught in a Bad Fomance By Me. 13 minutes in the back seat together and my sister wants to kill me. A new record. Devin, Maya snaps her manicured fingers in my face when I ignore her. Move over. It's the third time she's made that demand since we piled into the car. Any other day I would pack up my drawing tablet and laptop and give her free rein over the back seat, but I'm holding my ground this time. I push her hand away. No, I'm working. No, you're not. She scoffs. You've been looking at your phone this whole time. Your tablet isn't even on. Up in the peaceful driver's seat, Dad sighs while Andy tries and fails to hold back a snort. We should have seen this coming when we let Andy call shotgun. It made sense at the time. Shoving our six-foot-three stepbrother into the cramped back seat of our Honda Civic wouldn't have been fair. But Maya hates long drives, and my tablet takes up all the extra leg space. It was a recipe for disaster. I'm doing research, I reply indignantly. I turn my attention back to the profile I was scouring, only for Maya to snatch the phone out of my hand. She tucks it right into the one place she knows I'm not willing to go. Her bra. Social media stalking your classmates doesn't count as research. Scoping out the competition absolutely counts as research. Yes, it does. She gives me a deadpan look. Okay, fine. It doesn't. Not that I'd ever admit it to her, but Maya's right. If I want any chance of not shooting my barely-existent art career in the foot, I should be working on my application for the Carterelli Mentorship. Every spring semester, one CalArts freshman is whisked away to undergrad stardom by Professor Lila Carterelli, an animator with so many accolades under her belt she needs a separate, a separate Wikipedia page to list them all. Professor Carterelli's protégés are basically gods, according to my roommate, my advisor, and just about everyone else at CalArts. You give up any semblance of free time in exchange for shadowing one of the most iconic names in animation. Internships at Pixar and Disney are essentially guaranteed once you've got a recommendation letter from Lila Carterelli, who has the Disney family on speed dial. No one has any clue how Carterelli picks her mentees, but it's the same application every year. Standard background information and one enormously daunting assignment. Attach one piece that you feel best expresses who you are as an artist. Which sounds easy enough, except I barely have any idea who I am as a person, let alone an artist.
1: It's like, um... It's like a thesis statement.
0: Yeah, this is this is what the
1: book's gonna be about. <laughs> Did you, was this um was this in here before you sent this off to your editors at Penguin Random House? What do you mean? This thing, uh, except I barely have an idea of who I am as a person, let alone an artist.
0: Yes, I've been there for a long time. Okay, that was but a very long one. Yeah, it seems
1: like a very editory thing to be like. Well, you gotta have like, what's the conflict here?
0: No. It's just a joke. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a joke. He don't he don't know who he is, which I think he does. I think my one thing about Devin... People always ask me, like, what's the difference between you two? And I'm like, well, he knows who he is. He's an artist. He's an artist. I didn't know what I was when I was his age. I was very confused. Do you think that uh, when he grows up, he'll be a professional animator? Yes, I do. I know a lot about what happens to him in the future, but... When I, does he die? Um, He dies at the age of 86. Oh. Uh, I won't tell you who he is beside, though. Who he's crushed by. Yeah. I mean... I'll say that they show up in this book. (laughs) (laughs) My first semester of almost adulthood was less than stellar. Being surrounded by people who have been creating since they could hold a pencil and can produce gallery-worthy art in their sleep isn't exactly encouraging when you can barely grasp the basics of color theory. Especially when you're like me, someone who didn't consider animation as a profession until their junior year of high school. Six months ago, I thought I'd be in my element, living the cool, aloof LA art school life like I'd seen in the movies. Instead, I spent the past four months hardly ever leaving my dorm room just so I could keep up with all the homework. I've been in the land of eternal sunshine for three months, and I'm even paler than when I arrived. And I spent more time with the vending machine on my floor than my roommate. I think
1: um, Florida is also famous for sun.
0: Yes, he's gone to two different places that are known for sun, and he's pale. Sad. So yeah, I could really use a win right now. The application isn't actually due until the first day of spring semester, and while procrastination has never done me any favors, I can't focus on productivity when my innocent phone is being held captive in my sister's gross, sweaty clutches. Come on, give it back, I whine, nudging my knee against Maya's. Nope. She smacks her bubblegum and waves a finger at my tablet. Pack it up or get drawing. I can explain to her for the hundredth time that that's not how my artistic process works, or I can play dirty. Dad, Maya stole my phone give
1: your brother, mm, I got to think of how your dad, how, how the dad sounds. My
0: dad? This that, is not my I mean, dad. I know it's not your
1: dad. It's different from your dad. <laughs> yeah. How do you imagine his voice?
0: He's Pedro Pascal.
1: I, okay. Because Avi Rook has a very particular interpretation of the dad character. <laughs> I'd never heard it. That's coloring yeah. my,
0: um. Well, yeah, you have the advantage of having heard the audio book. So it's you kind know of a voices.
1: disadvantage right now.
0: Okay. Because you want to like do the same like I'm doing an way.
1: impression of their Maya. Um...
0: Yeah, that's fair. Does that mean then that whatever voice I do is authentic? Because yes. I'm the author? Yeah. Well, I've made a couple accidental liberties to the text because I just read it wrong, so I guess that's, that's how- canon that, now. Yeah, now it's canon. Sorry.
1: What if he's like Ray Romano?
0: Sure. I feel like that seems to be your default for all old <laughs> men. I'm trying to
1: think of, like, I don't have very many boy voices I can do. <laughs> sure. Give your brother his phone back.
0: Dad mumbles, squinting- Oh, we should have been
1: mumbling.
0: I, that wasn't mumbling.
1: <laughs> Give your brother his phone back.
0: Dad mumbles, squinting at a sign about road closures. Look at that, you get the nice sound of us turning the page. Look yeah, beautiful ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> Maya's glare would turn me to stone if I wasn't so used to being on the receiving end of her rage. Whoever said twins have a special psychic bond lied. The last time Maya and I were on the same page was when we sent Mommy into labor ten weeks before our due date. We've been menaces since the day we were born. They were not originally twins, which was fun.
1: Were they originally preemies?
0: No, <laughs> they, they, I mean, they were just... So two, sister, new two new character jokes. Two new character jokes. Uh, yeah. I, I talk about this a lot because I find it funny, is that the characters, once they became twins, I named them, Devin's name was always Devin, but uh, back when I made them twins, his sister Maya's name was Diva, uh, spelled D-E-V-A. Um and naturally, a lot of people pointed out that that was way too confusing. Like, out loud, Devin and Diva sound different. But when you're reading D-E-V-I-N and right. D-E-V-A... You're trying to skip over
1: as much of the word yes, as you can. It's too
0: much. So that was fair. Originally,
1: but, yeah. they weren't called the Baezes. They were called the Baileys. The
0: Baileys. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, because right. I always forget about that. Yeah, they were white.
1: Yeah, you were writing a, a, a story about Irish identity. I know.
0: Something that I, I know so much about, you know? <laughs> And I decided to really try something outside of my comfort zone and write a Puerto Rican family instead. (laughs) We stare each other down, unblinking and unrelenting, until she lunges at me. On instinct, I curl around my tablet, protecting it from her wrath. She goes for the cord, connecting it to my laptop instead, ready to yank it free when Dad springs into action. Hey! Oh, just like Ray Romano. He shouts, startling all of us, even Andy, into total silence. Watch it around the tablet. He warns, focusing back on the road once Maya retreats to her side of the car. Crazy, there are dialogue tags. It's like, just so, already our format is so different with the existence of, of any dialogue tag. I can barely manage. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> I keep forgetting what I'm supposed to read. She begrudgingly hands me back my phone, sticking her tongue out at Dad when he's distracted by a Prius that gets too close to us. Sometimes I think you love that thing more than you love either of us. With how much I
1: paid for it, yes, I do.
0: Dad replies. Guilt settles too comfortably in the pit of my stomach. It's no secret that my tablet's price tag was more than we should have spent, but Dad had insisted we splurge on the CalArs recommended model instead of the used three generations old one I'd found on eBay. It was for a special occasion. An 18th birthday and congrats on getting into art school gift rolled into one. But bills like ours don't leave roof for $500 special occasions, as Maya, the golden child who abandoned her grand plan to move to New York and study cosmetology for the more affordable option of staying home and commuting to Florida State, loves to remind me. Case in point, this entire trip. We haven't been to our cabin in Lake Andreas for four years, but Dad begrudgingly kept up with the payments for the sake of nostalgia. Swinging the extra couple hundred bucks a month felt worthwhile when there was still a slim chance we'd spend another summer or winter break at the lake. Especially after we gave up our childhood home to find a place big enough for Andy and his mom, Isabel, to move in last year. With two college tuitions, a new mortgage, and unpaid medical bills that have been sitting on the kitchen counter for what feels like eons to keep up with, nostalgia doesn't make the cut anymore. As much as it might suck, avoiding lifelong debt outweighs sentimentality. That's the part none of the therapist warned us about. Grief is hell on your bank account. Not that I'm not grateful for our special occasions. The tablet makes me feel more like a serious artist than the now-infected nose ring I let my roommate Marcus talk me into because all artists have cool Pierre sayings. And at least we're getting a chance to say goodbye to the cabin. Christmases since our last trip to Lake Andreas have been… weird. We rarely even acknowledge holidays anymore. Christmas is just a day. Sometimes we sit around an undecorated pine tree in the living room and exchange gifts, but the first year we didn't even do that. It must be odd for Andy and Isabel walking into a family that acts like one of the biggest holidays in the world doesn't exist.
1: Oh, you shouldn't, you didn't, we neglected to mention at the top that this is a Christmas special. Yeah. Of the podcast. I think
0: I did say that it was a special, but it is specifically a Christmas Christmas special. Christmas special. It's a Christmas
1: book. And this yeah. is a Christmas episode.
0: Because as I always forget to tell people, this is indeed a book that takes place at Christmas. Yeah. I hesitate to say it's a Christmas book because people think it's going to be like, Ah oh, holly jolly. And it's not really about Christmas. Christmas happens, but it's not really a thing. So I don't want people to get excited and think like, oh, yeah, it's like a Hallmark romance or something. But yes, it does take place at Christmas. Yeah, Which is why I pinched myself when dad suggested this trip in the first place. He always made vague promises that next year we'd do something different, and now he's finally delivering. One last nostalgic and very strictly budgeted Christmas in Lake Andreas before our cabin heads onto the market. With my phone back in my pocket and Maya in full-on sulking mode, I finally return to my tablet. Instead of doing work like I promised myself, I let my gaze wander over to her when I'm sure she's not looking. She's been on edge since I came home two days ago. Not that she's usually a happy-go-lucky person. Snark has always been her brand. But she's especially huffy lately. Every time I deign to mention any of the three Cs, California, CalArts, or cardarelli she either scoffs, rolls her eyes, or leaves the room when we don't switch to a new topic. Yesterday she snapped at me for taking too long to get a glass of water. Maya's had problems with controlling her anger since we were old enough to talk, and I'm still not able to tell whether she's mad at me, our family, or the world at large. But I do know that the Devon Baez reunion tour is going terribly so far. A four hour long road trip no longer feels like the right place to work on finding who I am as an artist. The application isn't due for another month, and I'm not pissing off my sister is higher priority right now. Especially if I want to make it back to CalArts with all of my limbs and electronics intact. That's actually a cheeky little nod yeah. to, uh, you remember this. Uh, in an earlier version of the story, the whole reason that like that Devin winds up dating fake dating Julian is cause he breaks this tablet like immediately. In in the course of this chapter that we're about to keep reading, he he originally was gonna break the tablet and Julian promises to get him a new one. That no longer is the reason that they're going to fake date eventually, but it's a little nod to that to that old storyline.
1: That was a real problem. <laughs> we we spent I swear we spent ten hours <laughs> just going back and forth about character motivation and like why why anyone would fake date each other.
0: I think we got it eventually.
1: I think it's it's in a much much stronger place than, like, <laughs> than it was before. He needs $200 for a new tablet. That's a
0: lot of money. <laughs> He's young. He don't got money. Once my tablet is tucked away, Maya stretches herself out like a cat in the sun. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you.
1: I cannot. I I told all this when I finished the book. <laughs> But I was like, I'm astonished that you're using, like, similes in your writing. I know. It's crazy to me.
0: It seems impossible based on where we've come from. I know. Well, I'm still hung up on the dialogue tabs, but, you know, so we all have something that we're amazed by here. She doesn't grace me with a smile or even the basic decency of eye contact, but her shoulders slacken and her frown softens. That's Maya for thank you. Three hours and two bathroom breaks later, Dad takes the exit for Lake Andreas and lowers the volume on his trusty road trip mixtape. Nearly there, he says, and rolls down our windows. Andy leaps up, hanging his head out of his window like a golden retriever. I unbuckle my seatbelt when Dad isn't looking, sliding in beside Maya to peek at the familiar welcome sign. Lake Andreas, the happiest place in Florida. So, way back when, this book used to be set in Michigan. And it used to be, Lake Andreas, (laughs) the greatest lake in Michigan. Which I thought was very cute. That's better. Yeah, I know. But, you know, what can you do? (laughs) The sign is frayed and has yellowed at the edges, but it warms my jaded little heart. The castle is down as highways turn into one-way streets, giving us time to take in the scenery. Oak trees sprawl as far as the eyes can see, shielding the rustic wooden cabins along the side of the street from view. Tire swings and little free libraries on every corner, bikes and paddleboards abandoned on front lawns, and the smell of salt water and sunscreen in the air. Pure magic. I lean out my window as we pull onto the main strip, ready to ooh and ah all over the places that Maya and I would terrorize as kids, except they're gone. Well, not all of them. The deli that gave me and dad food poisoning is still around. The dog has decided to exit. She's had enough.
1: I mean, we got to talk about uh, the Dixon Deli. Yes,
0: we haven't gone there yet.
1: Well, I mean, that is That's the deli me- The just mention of the deli, there. yes.
0: That is a reference to a bodega that I went to as a child.
1: No, at first when I was reading this book, I was like, wow, you've really done the Dixon Deli dirty." <laughs> well,
0: cause, yeah, because I say they have food poisoning. I well, love the Dixon it Deli. It comes
1: up again and again. You're yes. like, the Dixon Deli is... terrible. It is a setting for much of the book. Yes. And really ragged on. But you come around, spoiler, at the end you come around and everyone enjoys... The Dixon Deli. uh, A 10 foot meat lover's sub from the Dixon Deli. Yes. And nobody gets food poisoning.
0: Yes. I love the Dixon, the real Dixon Deli. I just needed to pick a name for a deli. And like, I think... And it was funny, too, because my editor was like, why Dixon's? Like, I was like, oh, do you want it to be like a pun? And I was like, no. This is a reference to a very specific place that I would like to honor. I don't know that it's actually even called the Dixon Deli anymore. I don't know at what point it was. That's not what I called it growing up. No, I called
1: it the Dixon Deli once, I think that's
0: its actual name. And
1: you were, you were kind of offended by it. You were yes. like, no, that's the bodega.
0: Yes, it is the bodega. It's called <laughs> Jeans. <laughs> don't know. It was. I don't think it was ever actually called Jeans. But, you know... Puerto Ricans, if you're listening, sometimes you just name things things. It's it's named Jeans. I don't know where that name came from, but that's the name of that restaurant. The shops on Fulton Drive are still painted pastel pinks, blues, and greens, but their windows are shuttered and doors barred, lining the streets like rotten gumdrops. The entire block, like the welcome sign, feels frayed and yellowed at the edges. The abandoned shops haven't even been replaced by a Starbucks or a Chipotle or one of those business casual places that charge $16 for salad. They're just empty. Sad, forgotten shells of a town that once meant so much to us. Huh. Maya murmurs as Dad parks in front of what was once a pretty decent Thai restaurant. Was the lake always this depressing? Dad takes off his Florida state cap, his hair in a sweaty disarray. I don't think so. Me neither, I reply. I know kids see the world through rose-tinted glass and all that jazz, but this is definitely not our Lake Andreas. At least not the one we remember. Even if my memories are kinder than reality, there's no way mommy would have let us spend our Christmases in a ghost town every year when we could have skipped the four-hour drive from Tallahassee and stayed home. Yes, they're from Tallahassee. I was forced to name an actual place that they were from, and I was adamant that I didn't want to because I was nervous that the Floridians would come after me, but apparently I did okay with the Florida geography. That's where where Disney
1: uh, is.
0: Yes. That's why he wants to be an animator.
1: Oh, because he loves Disney
0: so much. Sure. Very sad. (laughs) Probably just an off year. Dad slips his cap back on and turns off the car, gesturing for us to follow him as he steps out. Most of our favorite places have bit the dust. The Winter Wonderland miniature village, complete with fake snow and a Ferris wheel made of chocolate, and the front window of the candy store has been replaced with a foreclosure notice and cobwebs. Our favorite bakery, loafing around, looks like it has been boarded up for months. A hunger pang rips through my empty stomach at the thought of never having their sun-dried tomato and rosemary focaccia again. Ooh. I know. Dang, that sounds good. good. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was eating that. Sam's Superior Souvenirs is hanging in, though, and so are their signature I Got Crabs and Lake Andreas shirts. Wonderful. The streets somehow feel emptier than they look, with only the distant sound of seagulls and the echo of our footsteps for company. The kind of empty that feels ominous, even in broad daylight. I stick close to Maya as Dad leads us towards his grocery store at the end of the block. Watch it, she hisses when I accidentally step on the back of her chancla. Forget playing nice. If an axe murderer decides to come after us, I'm using her as a shield. I fall back, lingering beside Andy instead. He's a foot taller and lifts weights heavier than me during football practice. No way I can force him into being my unwilling shield. So I guess this is the end of me. Can't say this is how I thought I'd go. We make it to the grocery store without coming across any other signs of life. Not even the usual swarm of blood-hungry mosquitoes. I'm half expecting the store to be abandoned, but when the bell over the door announces our arrival, we're greeted by a familiar face.
1: Well, I'll be damned, old
0: Bob says with a slap to his knee. Well, I'll be damned. The candy shop didn't survive, but old Bob did. It's a relief, really. Old Bob is a Lake Andreas staple, welcoming families with open arms and hard candy year after year. Once upon a time, he'd been the mayor of this place, winning two consecutive landslide elections before passing the mayoral torch to his wife, Janine, and opening up the general store. He's the kind of person who always remembered our birthdays and what sports we were into and whether we preferred soft serve or popsicles. And one of the few locals who actually looked forward to visitors like us coming around to wreak havoc on their usually quiet community, never minding the extra noise and bigger crowds. He always said folks like us kept life at the lake exciting.
1: Tony Baez! Come here, you bastard.
0: It's not until he's pulling Dad in for a hug that I remember we don't actually know Old Bob's real name. It had been a joke at the time, but it suits him. He looks like a Bob. And he is old. Five year old Devin and Maya were on to something.
1: <sighs> it's been a while.
0: Dad hesitates, slapping his hand down on Old Bob's shoulder.
1: My friend.
0: Nice save. Oh, little inside thing. Uh old Bob's real name? Actually, Bob.
1: I was surprised that that never was, revealed, was never revealed in his... the book. Yeah. I, I thought there was going to be a moment.
0: Uh, well, if there's ever a collector's edition, I'll reveal, i answer everyone's most pressing question. What's old Bob's real name? It's Bob. It's Bob. <laughs> old Bob settles back down on his stool behind the front counter.
1: What brings the biases to our neck of the woods?
0: He stiffens suddenly, eyes narrowing.
1: You passing through on the way to that new water park across the lake?
0: Andy's eyes light up.
1: Oh, now I need an Andy voice. He's a himbo.
0: That's not helpful. <laughs> He's a dope. He's a jock. He's okay. a jock. There's a water park? Old Buck bristles, nodding sternly.
1: Allegheny Park. Things have been taking up most of our usual business. Everyone wants to stay over in Hillsdale these days. Something about a state-of-the-art water
0: slide. That explains the tumbleweeds. The opposite end of the lake, better known as Hillsdale, was usually for the more upscale round of golf before lunch at the country club types but maybe some money-hungry developers decided to cash in on the Lake Andreas crowd and create more budget-friendly options. Well, at least we wanted to wait in line at the kayak rental stand. If it's still around.
1: How's the family been?
0: Old Bob continues, back in good spirits.
1: Think I can talk some men into letting me sneak a piece of that tres leches cake again this year?
0: Without missing a beat, Dad pulls out the shopping list Isabel left on the kitchen counter that morning, handing it to Maya.
1: Think you guys can handle grabbing everything? We've, uh, we've got some catching up to do.
0: Maya and I nod, dragging Andy away as Dad turns back to old Bob. This is the part we're not supposed to see. The smiles that turn into frowns, the I'm so sorry's, and I had no ideas. A bitter reminder that this town isn't the only thing that's changed. I put as much distance as I can between us and the counter, heading toward the far corner of the store. Nothing says happy holidays like avoiding your dad's practiced feel about how your mom died. Once we're safely hidden between the produce and fish bait aisles, Maya carefully tears the shopping list down the middle, handing me the lengthier half.
1: Meet you up front in and ten?
0: Andy and I nod, grabbing a basket from a stack beside the apples before heading to the opposite end of the store. All we managed to grab is ice cream and pasta sauce when we're brought to a complete halt in the cereal aisle. Just pick one already, I shout after Andy puts back the box he was holding for the hundredth time. I'm
1: trying.
0: He carefully picks up a family-sized box of Count Chocula, looking at it longingly before shaking his head and setting it back down. Do you think we could get two? No. I hold up our half of the list, pointing to the bright red total Isabel marked at the bottom of the page and the price tags on the shelves. Not in the budget.
1: Stupid budget.
0: Andy grumbles under his breath as he picks the Count Chocula back up. I'm going to the next aisle. Meet me when you're done. Andy doesn't respond, turning his full attention to a box of Honey Nut Cheerios. I should have known better than to get between him and Sugar. For a 17-year-old linebacker, he has the diet of a picky toddler. Grabbing our basket, I head to the next aisle. Miraculously, there's another sign of human life. A guy around my age, tall with taut shoulders, and a jaw that could cut me in half. He doesn't strike me as Lake Andreas type. He's decked out in designer sneakers and a name-brand hoodie, not the usual Crocs and Hawaiian shirt crowd. I can't quite make out his face, but even with what little I can see, there's no denying that he's startlingly handsome. Guys like him don't exist in places like this. Lake Andreas is for families who want a break from the oppressive Florida humidity, but can only afford to go somewhere with a light breeze. Not for hot guys who can wear designer sneakers to go grocery shopping. Though a cute new local in town does have a very hallmark movie ring to it, the charming lumberjack to my jaded big city businessman. Or maybe I'm the lumberjack in this situation. I do wear a lot of plaid. One second I'm admiring Hot Guy's forearm as he reaches for a gallon of milk, and the next I'm tripping over my shoelaces—story of my life. The jar in my basket shatters the second I hit the ground, splattering pasta sauce and glass across the floor while the ice cream rolls down the aisle. What are the odds that Hot Guy didn't notice any of that?
1: Now I got a Julian voice.
0: Now you got a Julian voice. This happens to
1: me in spoiler in the, in the real book as well. <laughs> oh my God, are you okay?
0: Great. I generally push up onto my elbows before I can embarrass myself anymore. No broken bones, but my dignity has seen better days. Hawkeye delicately navigates around the sea of broken glass, coming to stand beside me. Are you alright? He asks again. His voice is as strangely familiar as the acoustic song blaring through the store's speakers. I hold a hand over my eyes, squinting to make out his face against the harsh fluorescent lighting. He leans down, his face slowly coming into view. My mouth goes dry as I reach two very important conclusions in a matter of seconds. One, Hawkeye's face is as hot as the rest of him. Two... I know him. Devin? Julian, so cook chokes out, brow shooting up to his hairline. Awesome! Our awful next-door neighbors are still around. Julian, I reply through gritted teeth, wishing I'd stuck through Andy's indecisiveness in the cereal aisle. Julian shakes off his obvious surprise, standing back up and offering his hand. My first instinct is to flip him off and go about the rest of my day, but I look down at the mess of saw-stained cans and boxes, groan, and take the help I can get. I push some of the sauce off of my stained shirt, grateful that I've never cared much about my fashion choices. A thing that will come up a lot in this book that he doesn't care about his fashion choices.
1: Yeah, Devin disheveled.
0: He's a very disheveled little boy.
1: Haven't seen you around in a while.
0: He says after I'm on my feet again. Yeah, well, my mom died, so we didn't feel like going kayaking. He frowns, shifting his gaze down to his sneakers.
1: Right. I'm sorry.
0: It's fine. I say more to myself than to Julian while I chase down my runaway ice cream.
1: You're bleeding.
0: I blink, finally turning to face him. I don't let myself look for too long. Prolonged eye contact with him can't be good for my health, but I'm surprised by the person I see. There's no doubt that it's Julian. He still has that mole above his right eyebrow, the scar cut through his upper lip from when I tripped him when we were ten, and the thick, dark brown hair blown every which way but flat. But something's different. Or was his jaw always that sharp, and his shoulders so broad? The thrill I felt at the idea of a cute boy in town morphs into disgust. That's what I get for not keeping my hormones in check. I flinch as I look away from him, as if I've spent too long staring at the sun. It's pasta sauce. Julian points at my left arm, the one that's dripping sauce down to my wrist.
1: No, your arm. It's, it's actually bleeding.
0: I look down at my arm, trying to shake off the image of this very new Julian. Between the chunks of tomato and freckled brown skin is a shallow, rough-edged wound just above my elbow. Oh, right. I pull down my rolled-up sleeve, applying as much pressure as I can with my non-dominant hand. He's left-handed! Confirmed, canon, left-handed Crazy. young man. Yeah, he's an choice. artist. Yes. It's not until I press that the pain surges all at once, ripping through my arm like a current. Julian takes a hesitant step towards me. Let me... No, I mean, it's fine. I'm fine. I lunge for my basket at the same time as Julian, our heads colliding with a thwack.
1: Hey, I found the perfect... Whoa, what happened to you?
0: Andy stills at the front of the aisle, box of fruit Loops in hand. Nothing, let's go. I push through the pain in my head and arm to kick the basket toward Andy, but all he does is stare at it.
1: I can carry that up to the counter for you.
0: Julian offers while rubbing the red mark forming on his blemish-free forehead. I nudge the basket out of his reach when he goes to pick it up. No, really, that's... Thanks. Andy interrupts, throwing his Fruit Loops into the basket and kicking everything over to Julian. I inhale sharply, glaring daggers at Andy. Okay, stay calm. He doesn't know any better. How is he supposed to know that the So-Cooks are to be avoided at all costs? It's not like Julian or any of the So-Cooks look like the Disney villains that they really are. We walk to the front counter in silence, Dad and old Bob's conversation faltering when they catch sight of me in all my sauce-covered glory. Maya nearly walks right into Julian, looking up from her phone at the last second. She freezes in place, one of her curls twisted around her index finger, her mouth hanging open in shock. If Julian is faced by the uncomfortable silence, he doesn't let it show. He sets our basket down on the counter, along with a $5 bill for his gallon of milk. He doesn't bother waiting for change before backing away slowly. Nice seeing you all. He gives us a stiff wave and exits the store. Old Bob chuckles under his breath as he watches us pull our jaws off the floor. Maya's the first to snap back to reality.
1: He's still here? Oh, they're all still here. Came up a few days ago.
0: Old Bob answers.
1: One of the last few families to stick around. Am I missing something?
0: Andy asks, scratching his head. Old Bob gives him a hearty belly laugh and leans across the counter.
1: (laughs) Oh, your stepfolks and the So Cooks have history.
0: That's putting things lightly. Then again, it's hard to sum up over a decade of spite.
1: Oh, speaking of the so cooks...
0: Old Bob trails off, hopping down from the stool and hobbling over to a closet behind the front counter. There's a collective intel between me, Maya, and Dad as Old Bob unleashes the hideous creature that's haunted us for years.
1: Spill detected.
0: The robot announces its unnerving googly eyes, wiggling around as it makes its way out from behind the counter and toward the dairy aisle.
1: Paul dropped it off last week. Latest model hasn't even hit the market yet.
0: Bob says with a grin. He watches proudly while we stand there in horror as the robot makes its way to the mess I left behind, slurping up the pasta sauce and glass in a matter of seconds. Spilly, Paul Cook's greatest invention and my family's worst nightmare.
1: Spill eliminated.
0: Spilly announces once the mess is cleaned up, returning dutifully to its charging dock behind the counter. Old Bob gives Spilly a round of applause before turning back to our groceries.
1: Oh, incredible these things. Right.
0: Dad spits out. We're lucky he didn't try to punch it square between the googly eyes. It wouldn't be the first time. Maya starts shoving our groceries down the conveyor belt. We need to go. Dad and I nod. Now's not the time to monologue to Old Bob about Spilly's salacious backstory, so we focus on helping Maya unload the last of our things while Andy looks on in dazed confusion. We shove things into Old Bob's hand faster than he can scan them, all of our groceries bagged in three minutes flat. We're halfway to the exit when Old Bob snaps his fingers, ushering us back over. His eyes are wide as he reaches for a flyer from the stack behind him.
1: If you'll be sticking around for a bit, you should sign up for the Winter Games. He
0: slaps the flyer down on the counter and pushing it towards us.
1: Hasn't been much of a competition lately. A little So Cook versus Baez action could be the shakeup this place needs.
0: The Flyer is as lively as the town that lives in my memories, cheerful snowmen and dancing elves welcoming one and all to compete in the annual Lake Andreas Winter Games, or better known to us as the Lockies, because Winter Games was too complex for a pair of five year olds to remember. These games are as sore a subject as the So Cooks themselves. Years of second-place medals and dirty tricks flash through my mind as Dad snatches the flyer and stuffs it into one of our bags.
1: Sign-ups are next week.
0: Old Bob explains.
1: We haven't gotten much interest these past few years, so we decided to push the date out to try and lure in some of the New Year's Eve crowd. We'll think about it.
0: Dad hoists our bags into his arms, mumbling a hurried goodbye before ushering us out of the store. Glad to have y'all back. Old Bob calls out as we bustle toward the entrance.
1: Hasn't been the same without you.
0: That I can believe. Who would have thought our greatest family legacy would be our rivalry with the assholes next door? We hustle back to the car, checking over our shoulders for any signs of Julian, his siblings, or his parents. Was the rest of the pack with him? Maya whispers to me. I didn't see anyone. She breathes a sigh of relief, slowing down to a fast walk instead of a jog.
1: We're probably safe then. We would have been able to smell Stella's hairspray by now, and Henry's impossible to miss, like a mountain troll.
0: Who are we talking about? Andy asks, visibly annoyed.
1: They're a family that we don't exactly get along with.
0: Dad answers diplomatically. We hate them. Maya interjects.
1: I interjected over your narration. very, Very
0: good job. Thank you. Dad shakes his head, opening the trunk and tossing in the groceries more haphazardly than anyone with a carton of eggs should. Hate
1: is a strong word. Am I wrong?
0: His silence speaks volumes. Maya claps her hands once we're back in the safety of the car, waiting until she has Andy's undivided attention before continuing. Let me break it down for you.
1: The so cooks are basically evil incarnate.
0: Dad eyes her in the rearview mirror. Guida He wh- hisses. His go-to phrase for when she needs to check herself. She rolls her eyes but heeds the warning.
1: Fine. They're loaded, obnoxious, and annoying as hell.
0: She pauses, turning to Dad with a critical look. He nods in approval, waving his hand for her to continue.
1: Every year they manage to find new and cruel ways to torture us, kicking sand in our eyes, sabotaging our kayaks, stealing our swimsuits whenever we use the communal showers at the pool.
0: One time, they dumped a bucket of war forms on me. I pause for dramatic effect. A chill runs down my spine at the cold, slimy memory. I still can't use a communal shower without feeling like someone's out to get me. So we threw pies in their faces. I,
1: I didn't endorse that prank, for the record.
0: Dad cuts in. You helped us bake the pies. Once again, Dad remained silent, not even bothering to hide his amusement this time. Andy frowns.
1: So, you don't like this family because of something that happened when you were
0: kids? Boiling down a decade of anger and resentment to something that happened when we were kids makes the matter seem petty. But the Cooks were never just rivals. They were bullies. All of them. Well, not their mom. But especially their blowhard dad. Paul Cook, entrepreneur extraordinaire. Which, no joke, is how he describes himself on his business card. We used to have one on our fridge with a minor alteration. Paul Cook, asshat extraordinaire.
1: We don't like them because they suck.
0: My insist, which really doesn't help us seem less petty.
1: They do suck.
0: Dad whispers under his breath, throwing the car into gear. The Roy Romano voice really elevated that <laughs> one. We tear down Fulton Drive, fast and furious. This was a reference to, to fast, the and fast and, and furious? The furious. Yes, because which I is not in
1: the book anymore. No,
0: there used to be a, a line because we with uh, with my friend Sienna, we used to do a Fast and Furious watch series where what are we oh we're watching fast and furious and planet of the apes we were watching
1: franchises yes yes and we did both the fast and the furious and And the the planet 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 of the the apes Apes. so there
0: was a line originally where they were like i want to go to the fast and the furious planet of the apes double feature (laughs) at the movie theater and i had to cut it but i guess i kept that in just as a reference to fast and furious (laughs) there are no cards on the road and the fear of running into the so cooks again is still running high so we're willing to make risky exceptions The lake comes into view, calm and gleaming, in the afternoon sun. We finally spot other familiar faces, an older couple that has an unhealthy obsession with fishing, and the family of four that always wears the type of bald eagle camo t-shirts that make me nervous. If I look closely enough, I can make out the outline of the so-cooks three-car garage through the thicket of trees. I slump back against my seat, body heavy with the burden of what running into Julian means. Oh my god, are you bleeding? Maya shifts as far to the opposite end of the backseat as she can, keeping her white cotton shorts out of harm's way. I look down at my mess of a left arm with a sigh. And all the chaos of trying to get out of the grocery store ASAP, I would forgotten that I didn't make it out without injury. Blood dribbles down my forearm, staining the sleeve of my shirt and the stretch of the back seat we've been arguing over two hours ago. Well, at least our last trip to Lake Andreas won't be boring. And that is the end of the chapter! Wow! Let's go! Wow!
1: Let's go! So
0: different, we didn't have as much commentary, but a lot more to read. How's it feel? It feels great. That was fun. That was fun. I mean, my throat hurts because I... You had to actually...
1: do a lot of narration. A lot of narration. Not easy. No. But no all... water.
0: No water. Yeah, that was a big one. I think it's it's harder, weirdly enough. I think because the lines are actually complex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's weird. Like, uh, you won't hear this, but like, we messed up a lot. And you'll probably hear some of them that I forgot to reread the line or whatever, and I stumble a little bit. I think just because the lines are just genuinely not like... I walk up the stairs. And then I go down the stairs. You know? I
1: think I think there is something about reading many sentences in a row that kind of makes you stumble. Yeah, in a way that doesn't happen if you're reading and then commentating and then reading and then commentating.
0: Right. Yeah. And I I have so much admiration now, especially for audiobook narrators, because that was so hard. <laughs> I and I didn't even have to do voices. Which it's like you have to do the voices and you then have to do the dialogue tag. I'm like, oh god. That's, yeah. That's very hard. I know. But, yeah, there it is. Uh, so, okay, so we were going to evaluate this based on...
1: By what percentage you've improved as a writer? Yes. A lot, okay. actually.
0: Okay, well, you're the objective one. I, I don't feel like know. I was
1: going to do a joke. I was going to be like 1.8%. <laughs> but it is pretty good. Thank you. Every time I read the book, uh-huh. which this is... this is
0: 100 <laughs>
1: I, I've read the first chapter many times. Yeah, and I'm always struck by like, oh, it's pretty good. Thank it's you. like you wrote a book. I did. It's write crazy. A book. I wrote more than one book, which is crazy. I'm reading. I'm. I'm not. Not your third book, but I'm the second is, book. I'm reading your second book to come out, which is my yes. third of your books. Yes. And every time I'm like, look at this. It reads <laughs> like a book. I'm sitting there getting lost in a book. Yeah. <laughs> as if it's like a novel that someone's written, and the author is a foot from me. <laughs> yeah.
0: And the best part is you turn the page in this book you're so lost in and then a dog named Nurse Oatmeal shows up and you're like, hmm.
1: <laughs> that <ruins>. does happen.
0: <laughs> in case you didn't know, there is a character in book two named Nurse Oatmeal and I, I she plays a large role. That's she all did. I'll say. She's in, in the
1: book a lot more than I anticipated.
0: <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil it, but she is actually like, if she were not in the story, it would genuinely be a different book.
1: I'm like, excited to keep different.
0: reading. She is a, She is, you might even say, the biggest villain of the story and i won't say why but you'll figure it out i will anyway thank you yeah i mean it's hard to say because i do feel like also since we were reading love me dead where i was starting to see like the glimmer of hope that this person could be decent at this but in
1: a way that kind of makes this look even better because we're reading that story and we're like oh wow you used a comma (laughs) you know like we're really grasping for straws (laughs) And then you actually read this competently written story, and it, <laughs> it, it it kind of like reveals that for the trash it is. Yes,
0: that's that is true. So I will say that you've improved ninety four percent as a writer. <laughs> what do you think the six percent I need to improve can be? I'll work on it for book uh, three, four, five. Six, I just seven, think eight. you were
1: already at four percent. Or oh, yeah.
0: okay. With the oh, that's fair. Yeah, I feel like I was at like ten uh-huh. percent in Love Me Dead. I think I was at like two percent. You, with Forgotten Memories. Okay,
1: but you do raise an interesting point, which yeah. is that you're not at 100% as a writer. No, of course not. So what percentage do you think you are at?
0: Uh, it's hard to say, because I've certainly gotten much better at writing a very specific type of novel. Right. Um, so it's hard to say. If you're talking about, like, how good am I at writing romance? I don't know, efficiently? One efficiently, one hundred percent. I can You're very one efficient. of the most
1: efficient romance writers out there. <laughs> Thank you. There. Well, I, I don't even know if I could say that because some of these Amazon writers, yeah, they, they put a book a week. Out.
0: Yeah, that is true. But I'm very efficient at writing a romance novel now. Yeah. But I mean, the quality. I feel like the quality is. It's tough to say because. You know, you're not going to have consistent quality necessarily. It could depend on the idea, just depend on the process. Like, I was saying that I was worried that uh, book two was not as good as book one, only because I just didn't spend as long writing it. Uh, but you're reading it, and you said that it feels like an improvement from book one, so... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, I... Again, I can't evaluate it, so it's impossible for me to say, but I think there's always room to grow. Like, uh, you've read my thriller, which is also going to be published in 2025, and I feel like that one is an improvement from the previous books in terms of like the language and the voice is very different and yeah. an improvement in terms of just like uh, it's, a, it, it's a different it's a
1: development for you as a writer because yeah. it's in a different style and it's a very
0: different style but i feel like it's an improvement in its own way because it is a different style and i think it's done competently in a different style to me at least i mean
1: we'll wait for the readers to decide that's true
0: <laughs> but also you read that one earlier in its earlier form so yeah. versus all of these other books you've kind of read in there somewhat final form. With the exception of Fomance You read a very earlier version of Fomance I did. Which was like before I sold it. Um and then you read the or you listened to the final version. And now you're reading the final almost final version of book 2 and you read the pre 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 purchased by a publisher version of my thriller.
1: I think this is too in the weeds for your listeners. Yeah, so, I'm sorry. I we're, think not this gonna, we're not going we're not
0: going to get into that. The point is I wrote a book. It feels different than the fan fiction. Uh, but I think you can still kind of see the attempts at humor, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think they're a little more successful now. Um, whether you think it's funny is up to you. That's not something that I can decide. But I feel like uh, what I find interesting is that it's not as dramatic as it used to be. Like my fan fiction. I guess maybe that's just a difference in the medium. But I don't know. I feel, I feel like it's not as dramatic, but it still has the same tone somehow. Like it's Irreverent. Irreverent. I feel like if you looked at Forgotten Memories and looked at the attempts of attempts at humor in that one, or any semblance of voice, if you will, you'd be like, Yeah. Or like, okay, let me ask you this. Do you feel like if you read Forgotten Memories or Love Me Dead and then read this book? Yeah. Would you be like, Yeah, the same person wrote these? No. Really? I don't think so. I feel like I could, but that's also probably because I did write both of them, so I You know. can
1: draw connections, but yeah. only because you know. Right. Like, I don't think that a layperson would ever a be able person. to guess.
0: All right, well, we'll have to let the listeners weigh in on that. I'm curious if y'all think that you could see the similarities, be like, oh, yeah, One, 2 your Murder, four, five, six, definitely wrote this book, you yeah? know? But, I don't know. Anyway, this was just a fun little side project we wanted to do to celebrate the book being released into the world um, and also celebrates the holiday season as we go on a brief hiatus. Because actually, this is a fun little thing that we're doing is we're going on tour, not for the podcast, but we're going on tour for this book in January. So we're going to be off pretty much all of January um, because we need to <laughs> go travel. We're going to be in San Francisco on January 5th uh, at Books Inc. and Laurel Village. And then we will be in Los Angeles at the bodice Culver City on January 13th, which is a Saturday. And then uh, we'll be gone for two weeks because we're going to be going to the deserts of Joshua Tree uh, because I'm going to be doing a writer's writer's retreat thing where I took two weeks off to go stay at this house in Joshua Tree and I'm just going to write the whole time. Duncan will also be there. But he'll be doing work.
1: I probably won't be writing.
0: Yes, he will not be writing per se, but
1: I'll be writing emails.
0: Yeah, that counts. <laughs> so we'll both be, but we'll both be in the uh, desert. But come
1: see us in uh, San Francisco and LA.
0: Yes, if you're in San Francisco or LA, please come hang. I really, I did not realize until I kind of got into this discussion. We have so many listeners in Michigan. Maybe we should have done a Michigan tour stop.
1: Oh, that would have been fun. Well, I looked into whether there was a bookstore in Hamtramck, and yes. there's like, there's one. Oh, I was looking into whether it was carrying the book, and yeah. it wasn't. But we could have <gasps> done an event. Uh, like, at Hamtramck, specifically? Yeah, we could
0: have. We're like, I don't think you understand, but we have to do an it event in, in Hamtramck, Michigan. It has Michigan. to be this location. So, anyone out there wants to book us at, <laughs> at Hamtramck, Michigan, please, we'd love to come. Or please tell the bookstore or library, whatever's there, to buy my book, please. I'll send them an autograph copy if they want it. I just want... A b- copy of the book in Ham travel Michigan, please. So there you have it. We'll be back with The Year Love Died, our uh, latest uh, Bill Cowlitz fan fiction. Probably in February. You can keep an eye on our Instagram, which is for a fan fiction podcast if you'd like to uh, see when we will officially be back. But in the meantime, you want to talk to us, you can email us at myfirstfanfiction at gmail.com. I don't know if we really have a sign off for this one.
1: Okay, but uh, before you go, I got a prediction. Okay. Because we, we skip predictions here. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think that the enemy families, the biases, and the cooks are going to have to team up to take over a mutant spilly uh, that oh. grows to Godzilla size and tries to destroy the town. You
0: know that's so funny that you predict that? Because that's exactly right. There you go. End I was like, episode. sorry, end of episode. <laughs> <laughs>